Our breaking news, a deal to release some of the hostages, but who and when will they be home? And at what price? Tonight on Laura Coates Live. I mean, can you even begin to imagine how agonizing it has been for the families of the hostages that were taken on October 7th? And it's been 45 days, 45 days. 45 days of not knowing where they are, how they are, and whether they will ever, ever see them again. Now with the entire world watching and waiting, Israel has signed off on the deal to release some of the estimated 240 people being held hostage. The deal would free at least 50 women and children. Sources telling CNN that there are as many as 40 children in the group. Now there will be a four day pause in fighting with an extra day to be added for each 10 additional hostages. Three Palestinian prisoners will be released every, uh, for every single hostage, and the Red Cross will get access to hostages that are still in Gaza. Now, Barack Ravid, one of the best informed correspondents on this story, who will be here in a moment, says that Israeli officials tell him the pause in fighting will start when? Well, when the first child crosses the border back into Israel. But even with this news tonight, the wait for these families is not over. Now there's also a legally mandated 24-hour waiting period to allow Israelis to appeal the decision to the country's Supreme Court. But still, even then, the wait will not be over. All of these 50 or so hostages are not expected to be released at once on a single day. Instead, it will be staggered, maybe day by day. And the families will likely learn shortly before it happens whether their loved one will be released soon after. Now imagine what it would be like for them. I mean, every day waiting for your loved one, your child's name to come up. Imagine what it's like for the family of nearly four-year-old Abigail. Senior U.S. officials say that she could soon be released along with two American women. But, you know, when I think about that on Friday is Abigail's fourth birthday and that she should be home with her family and with her sister and brother, and she isn't right now. I don't know how these families are able to even put one foot in front of the other some of these days, but their focus has remained. And their goal, bringing their loved ones home. Loved ones like 13-year-old Gali. So, regarding all the deals being made, I'm trying not to follow it and not to rely on them so that I don't develop a hope that I then lose. And the only thing I am waiting for is the phone call from my daughter, Ruma, who will say, Golly is coming back. And then I'll know that it's really over and I can breathe a sigh of relief and say, that's it. It's over. Not wanting to hope. Like the family of 12-year-old Erez and his 16-year-old sister, Sahar, along with their father. I feel like the one thing we should all be able to agree on is that that children are not a part of war. And if we're able to get them home as soon as possible, then I think that's a good thing for all of us. The Israeli government says it would be prepared to extend the deal if Hamas is prepared to release more hostages. After all, there are an estimated 200 people who were not included in this initial deal. So what about them? Are they still alive? 
How are they being cared for? When will they come home? Really, what's going to happen next? Let's go to CNN's chief global affairs correspondent, Matthew Chance. He is in Tel Aviv. Matthew, this is extraordinary news tonight. So many people have been waiting for even this moment to happen. The cabinet has approved of this hostage deal. So what do we know about the details and, and what's going to happen next? Yeah, it's, a, it's a good question. I mean, look, we've got that legally mandated pause to allow for appeals against this deal um, at the Supreme Court. It's not likely to be an obstacle, but it is a, a legal hurdle that has to be overcome. Um, and so we're expecting the first of the hostages to be released on Thursday local time. So in about 24 hours, just under 24 hours from now. But I mean, it, we're speculating a bit because no time frame has, has been given. I, I can tell you, listening to some of those uh, relatives of, of the loved ones of the people that have, uh, are being held in, in Gaza, I mean, I've been all day, I've been speaking to members of, of, of families here in Tel Aviv who have got uh, you know, family members inside Gaza, and there's mixed feelings among them about this deal. Um, on the one side, I met a woman, I think it was the mother of, of Gali, the, the grandmother who, whose soundbite you showed there. And she was very optimistic, actually, at this point, that perhaps her 13-year-old daughter, who is being held as a hostage inside Gaza, would be released. And she, she was very upbeat about the prospects for that, given this deal. But other people I spoke to were much less so, much more upset. I mean, one woman from Kibbutz Beri was despondent. She said, look, she's happy for those people. They're going to be included in this deal. But her nephew is a 38-year-old man, not in the army, nothing like that. He was just abducted um, from, from his kibbutz. Um, and there's very little chance at this point of, of him being released. And of course, as you mentioned, there are about 200 people uh, who are not going to be included in this hostage deal. And that's one of the reasons, Laura, why doing this deal for the Israelis has been so controversial. Um, they are concerned that the pause in the fighting could allow Hamas to, to rebuild and to, and to, you know, kind of gain back some military initiative. But more than anything else, it's about all the people it leaves behind. And, that, and that's really hard for Israelis to, to, to grapple with. I mean, this deal, as you're, as you're talking, it occurs to so many people that this requires the Israeli government to trust that the remaining hostages are alive and well. But they can't just take their word for it. They we're learning this deal does include Red Cross visits to hostages who are still captive in Gaza. What more can you tell us about that? Well, first of all, I think that's a major, a major concession by Hamas and a major gain for the Israelis that they have managed to negotiate this clause, if you like, in which the, uh, the Red Cross, the ICRC, will be able to go into the Gaza Strip and actually access um, the hostages that are still there um, on an ongoing basis. And so that's gonna give the Israeli government and of course families in Israel a bit more clarity about whether their loved ones are still surviving because, you know, this figure of 236 is the figure that's banded around about the number of hostages that are being held by Hamas and other militant groups inside Gaza. Well, we don't know. Nobody knows what their condition is, whether they're mm -hmm. dead or alive. I mean, some of them we know are dead, but, but, but others we're not, we're not sure about. And so the ICRC will be able to give 
the families and all of us some clarity on that. I mean, you've got to wonder, Matthew, why would Hamas agree to knowing the location or alerting them to the location of the hostages and the concession being made? It's it's one question that I think is looming over all of this. But thank goodness that there are at least some people coming home. Matthew Chance, thank you so much. I want to bring in Axios political and foreign policy reporter and Middle East expert Barack Ravid. I'm so glad that you're here. You've heard the news that Israel has agreed to this deal. But the big question, of course, is what the people think about it, number one, and when will the first hostages be released? Do you know when the first will be able to go home? Hi, good night. Um, I think uh, we, we are starting to get more and more clarity about this question. And this comes from a statement that uh, the government of Qatar uh, issued just a few minutes ago. Uh, And they say that sometime in the next 24 hours, they, the government of Qatar, the mediators, are going to announce when the pause in fighting is going, going to start. It's going to start sometime on Thursday. And it is going to start, again, when the first hostages come back from Gaza to Israel. So I think we are really looking at something between 24 to 36 hours before this thing will start to be implemented, before we will see the buses coming out of Israeli prisons with with 150 uh, Palestinian prisoners. And when we see the Red Cross bringing those Israeli hostages to the border with Egypt and from there uh, to Israel, but This is going to be a very sensitive and difficult and complex process because it's not going to happen all at once. It's going to be drawn down over four days. And during those four days, a lot of things can go wrong. Barack, I mean, when you were mentioning the exchange part, many people haven't been talking about this aspect of it because there are expected to be 150 Palestinian prisoners who will be released as well. Do we know anything about... Those prisoners, there are women and children among them. Do we know more about why these particular prisoners have been chosen or what they were in Israel for? Well, I think uh, most of them were chosen because they were just there. You know, Hamas knew that for women and children, it can only ask for Palestinian women and Palestinian minors who were convicted and they're in Israeli prisons. There are something like, I think, between 400 to 450 of those. And... In this deal, at least in phase one, 150 of them are going to be uh, released. Most of them are people that did not kill Israelis, but were involved in attacks, like you know, trying to stab a soldier or, or a policeman or throwing a Molotov cocktail. That's just an example. There are many other. Uh, each case, it's, it's a case by case issue. But I think that very soon, the next few hours, we will know the identity of those people because the Israeli government has to uh, announce it. Uh, according to the law. And when will we know the names of the hostages uh, the, and the Israelis who will be returned? Will they, I'm assuming they will all be, and there's a variety of different, um, you know, national identities that are coming and had been taken as well. But will we know the names of those hostages as well? I think we will know them either after they will be released or very, very close to the time of the release, because The process is that every evening uh, from the point when the pause will start, 
uh, Hamas will transfer to Israel the names of the people who are going to be released the next day. And they're going to pass this thing to Israeli negotiators, to, who are people who work in the government. And I don't know if they're going to announce those names ahead of time. Maybe they'll just tell the families. It's pretty unclear. And again, I'm not even sure that by now there's total clarity about who those people are. I mean, we know who are the kids that are missing but we're not sure who are the kids that Hamas is holding and that it, it's, it's going to release as part of this deal. I mean, it's, it's unimaginable to think about this happening and being a parent or a loved one waiting to see if that name is coming up. And for some of these children, so, so Laura, you know, who are I'll they you, going home Laura, to? I'll tell, I'll tell you something which is even more unimaginable. Yeah. Some of those kids are there in Gaza with their father. Okay, because their mother was murdered in the October 7th attack and their father is not going to be released. They're going to come back to Israel, to the family that they have left, but their father is going to stay in Gaza in captivity. We're going to see in the next few days a combination and almost, you know, I, you know this crazy combination between happiness and tragedy. And and yeah. each of those people who's going to be released is a is a, is such a tragic story that I don't even know how we right. can handle it. And then what, Barack Ravid? Thank you so much. Unbelievable. Thank you. Good night. Good night. With us now, Moran Aloni. Both of his sisters, brother-in-law, and three young nieces were kidnapped from their kibbutz on October seventh. Moran, finally. There is word that Israel has agreed to a deal to exchange hostages. You've heard this. 50 women and children with the possibility of more. I mean, five of your six family members are women and children. How are you feeling tonight? Have you heard anything from the government specifically? Uh, no, we haven't heard anything uh, yet. We're getting our knowledge from the news mostly, and um, how do I feel about it? First of all, as, as, as Ravid mentioned, we don't know who's the women and who's the, ch the, uh, the children that are getting released. And so, given that we don't know who is getting released, and we don't know when, it feels like they're playing roulette with our uh, emotions and, and with our lives. It's... Uh, it's, it's unbearable to, to think about a situation where another hostage, another child is getting released. How would we feel if it's not our child? Mm. That's what a, difficult thing a to horrible think about. feeling to feel, exactly. And so I think that until... Uh, you know, we don't have our family by by our side. Um, it it will just continue the same for us. And in addition to that, you mentioned five out of six. Mm -hmm. My brother-in-law there, there, the father of Emma and Julie, and the husband of my sister Sharon. This hole in our family will not be able to close until he's getting back. And no one says when, when, when the rest are getting released. 
And so again, it feels like a very cynical use of, of people and people's life to gain an advantage by these murderers. I don't have any other way to see it. Um, well, Moran, what do you think of the decision by the government in Israel to agree to these terms? I want to believe that if the government came to agree on that, given that there were uh, other deals that they were not, uh, that they did not accept, as far as I understand, I want to believe that that's, that's a good deal for now. It's an opportunity. And eventually it's an opportunity to bring the children home. And I think that the children are, I think the most important part of it because they don't have the tools to handle the situation that they're at at the moment. The grown-ups, I think, can maybe hold or last longer, but I don't think there's a single mother or a father there that will say, that, that will refuse to release his children, will say, first of all, release my children. And so I want to believe that that's, that's a good deal given the current situation. I can, I can imagine even those who are not parents um, who will see a child and say, free them first, just knowing the gravity of what's going on. Uh, Moran Aloni, we will be thinking of you. It's unimaginable. I keep saying, and that's the word I keep thinking about because it's so difficult to even know what's next and that it's been 45 days of the agony that your family has had to endure and so many others. We're thinking of you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. When we come back, he has negotiated hundreds of hostage situations. I'm going to ask him what he thinks will happen next with this very deal. This podcast is supported by Sleep Number. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs, so you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores? Sleep Number does that. Only Sleep Number smart beds let you each choose your ideal comfort and support. Your Sleep Number setting. Sleep Number smart beds learn how you sleep and provide personalized insights to help you sleep better. All Sleep Number smart beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. Temperature-balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, CNN's chief medical correspondent. This week on Chasing Life... I'm a health reporter and have been for 15 years. And even I feel overwhelmed by some of the things I read about the stuff we're eating. My colleague Meg Terrell wanted to take a deep dive into something you've probably heard a lot about recently. Ultra-processed foods. There is a lot to learn there, some fascinating stuff. And some of it is probably going to change the way you shop. Listen to Chasing Life wherever you get your podcasts. 
President Biden putting out a statement just moments ago on the deal to release the hostages in Gaza. He writes, quote, as president, I have no higher priority than ensuring the safety of Americans held hostage around the world. That's why from the earliest moments of Hamas's brutal assault, my national security team and I have worked closely with regional partners to do everything possible to secure the release of our fellow citizens. We saw the first results of that effort in late October when two Americans were reunited with their loved ones. Today's deal should bring home additional American hostages, and I will not stop until they are all released. Now, questions still loom over how this deal will be implemented and how many hostages are being left behind. Here now to discuss, former Navy SEAL commander and coordinator of the hostage working group for the U.S. Embassy in Iraq, Daniel O'Shea. So glad that you're here this evening. I, I have so many questions. One of them is why would Israel and Hamas as well agree to this particular negotiation? On the one hand, it allows for a greater number of Palestinian prisoners to be released than Israeli hostages. It also allows Red Cross to see the location of the hostages, which of course leaves Hamas more vulnerable to a future attack. Are you surprised by this deal? No, it's it's why Hamas took these hostages in the first place. They knew they were going to be a bargaining chip and they were going to need that. They knew the IDF would respond and it would be overwhelming. And they both the response to data has brought Hamas to the knees and the IDF from international pressure from the, throughout the world, including the U.S. in particular, the U.S. administration, putting pressure on uh, Netanyahu for the ceasefire to get hostages back, specifically the Americans, but ultimately 240-odd hostages, 30-odd countries represented. There's been tremendous pressure on uh, Netanyahu and his government to get this hostage situation resolved, which is why they were taken in the first place by Hamas. Well, you've negotiated hundreds of hostage deals, and I, I, with Hamas, it all comes down to trust, as they all would in hostage negotiations. But can you trust that this is a done deal? Are there some guardrails in place to assure? Is it what can be done? The, the challenge is we did not have a negotiated settlement across the table. You know, Hamas and, and Israel did not sit across the table. This negotiation mm -hmm. was done through third party intermediaries, U.S. officials, diplomats from around the world, sheikhs, NGOs like the Red Cross, the Red Crescent, and just networks and, and upwards up into the Qatari family that has been instrumental in this in this in this ongoing process. Again, uh, Qatar's become the Switzerland of the Middle East in this, but this deal could go pear-shaped overnight. And all this media exposure and the emphasis by the president to make statements raises the stakes that anything could go wrong. And I'm I'm just who I dealt with over 400 kidnappers in Iraq, and I can count on one hand the number of successful endings we had. So I don't believe anything is going to happen until it happens for real. So um, we're still a far away from pulling this off and anything could go wrong. A friendly fire incident, um, a, a, a false viral news report. It's very tenuous. So I'm, I'm being very cautious at this point um, and, until the actual hostages start coming home safely. Well, I certainly will hold my breath the way you just described that and just thinking about what could possibly go wrong. But also there is this very real concern that there are additional hostages that will still remain and be left behind, at least temporarily. Israel also saying that the air and ground attack will continue 
once the hostage release concludes. So will a significant pause make that harder? Well, again, Hamas is going to have the chance to refit, retrograde. They're going to pull back, retreat probably. They're going to resupply. Uh, they've been out of communications from what we <clears> understand. <throat> you know, the, there's no media, cell phone, Wi-Fi. So it's going to give Hamas a chance to regroup, uh, which is why they were striving for the ceasefire and why they agreed to those terms. Um, but again, the IDF, they're under tremendous, tremendous pressure and this thing is going to be dragging out. So we could we could foresee another stalemate in, in another day, uh, a week or two, maybe maybe longer for another hostage exchange. But there's 200 plus hostages being left behind. So this this hostage process could be could be dragged out for weeks and the coming months ahead. I mean, I would assume that the government will want to interview and debrief the hostages that are returning. Obviously, if, if many are children, a bit more of a difficult process to do. But how might the information that they could possibly provide be helpful in getting the others home or even aiding in the ground offensive? Well, I don't think it's going to aid in the ground offensive per se, but it certainly will give um, IDF planners and others, especially, you know, they would love to do hostage rescue mission. Uh, within the IDF, but no more challenging environment than the densely packed region of Gaza. We presume that most of these hostages are being held in the tunneling system and channelize your forces into a, into a, into a, 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 a tunnel underground would be the absolute worst case scenario for hostage rescue mission. So there will be tremendous, there will be intelligence coming out um, in terms of the conditions they're in, but um, there won't be a lot of uh, intelligence per se for the IDF in terms of their ground campaign. And again, hostage rescue in this scenario is gonna be very challenging, um, even with a 10 digit grid that uh, may come out of some of this intelligence in, including the fact that the Red Cross are now gonna have the chance to go visit, um, visit these hostages. But again, both sides had to make concessions to get this deal realized. And as you suggest, the idea of visiting these hostages will give more information about the condition, where they are, the likelihood to get them back as well. Daniel O'Shea, thank you so much. Thank you. It took a complicated web of negotiations, to say the least, to get here, including on the part of the United States. So what went into the talks to get to where we are now? We'll go there next. A deal to free at least 50 hostages held by Hamas has now been struck tonight. But it was a result of weeks of hard negotiations between Israel, Hamas, and the United States, with Qatar playing a major mediating role. Sources telling CNN the deal began to come together after a breakthrough sometime last week, with leaders of the U.S. and Israel agreeing to the contours of the deal in order to free 50 women and children in Hamas captivity. The deal nearly sank when Qatar briefly lost contact with Hamas, which was furious over the IDF raid on Al-Shifa Hospital. Once talks restarted, Biden made clear to the Qatari leader this time it was time to make a deal. Soon after the outline was passed back and forth between Israel and Hamas through Qatar, getting all parties then to get on board. Joining me now to discuss, former Deputy Assistant Secretary of State for Legislative Affairs, Joel Rubin. He's also running for Congress in Maryland. Joel, so good to see you tonight. Thank you. I mean, Thanks, emotions are running very high. They have been for 45 days at the very least. It must be very difficult to strike a deal in a negotiation with all the nuance, all the opinion, and all the emotion. 
It's an incredible moment of complexity. Uh, as you point out, emotion. These are real human beings. These are real families that are going to be uh, some in euphoria and some in mm -hmm. deep despair. And what we're looking at is a, a military pause that also impacts the battlefield that uh, Israelis are deeply concerned about uh, what is taking place in Gaza and what that will mean for their future. So all of this is coming together. But at the end of the day, getting people out of harm's way, this is one of the primary objectives of the military response uh, by Israel to, uh, to Hamas's invasion of, of southern Israel. And this is a, an achievable uh, a, a milestone. It looks like it will go forward, but it's certainly just the beginning of the end, uh, uh, but really just not truly ending the nightmare that we're watching. It's pretty clear that President Biden had a hand in this. I mean, Netanyahu giving credit, speaking about that very aspect of it. Um, learning that three Americans could actually be part of the release as well. How significant is that? Well, it appears there are 10 Americans overall, and any American getting out now would be crucial for President Biden to demonstrate that his leadership, which has been strong throughout, and it's worth mentioning, he has been working the phones throughout this process, sending his team out there, uh, CIA Director Bill Burns, mm -hmm. our Humanitarian Assistance Coordinator David Satterfield, that's also part of this deal. Uh, it's crucial to show that his leadership is delivering results for the American people, and this is, is part of it. Uh, and, and hopefully these Americans will come home. You know, for many people, they're remembering back in, I think it was 2011, um, when there was an Israeli soldier who was exchanged, I think, for 1,000 yeah, Palestinians. Right. Here, it's a, it seems to be a one to three ratio in terms of hostages to Palestinians. There was a lot of criticism about that particular deal in the past, looking back, obviously, in hindsight, which is a luxury. When you look at the, the, the contours of this deal, how do you feel about it? You know, it's, it's a, a horrible moment to think that Hamas intentionally kidnapped civilians from Israel for this exact purpose. Mm. You know, what Hamas is doing right now is suing for a pause. Uh, they took these people out of their homes in order to use them as bartering chips to reduce the pressure on them that they knew Israel would uh, execute through a military onslaught. At the same time, these people must come home. So uh, it, it is, it is a, a, a bittersweet. Gilad Shalit, when he was uh, returned five, uh, 10 years ago in exchange for over 1,000 Hamas fighters, it was also bittersweet, but it was a moment of rejoice because uh, in Israel and in Judaism, every individual is a universe. Mm -hmm. And so every individual matters. And that, at the end of the day, is the ethical difference between Israel and Hamas. What Israel is doing is retrieving their people who are in harm's way, understanding there is a risk, but it's worth that risk. Well, there are sadly going to be 200 or more others right. who are behind and wondering what will happen with them next. And Red Cross will have a chance to see the condition of hostages. Really important conversation. And what will come next, even more important. Thank you so much. Thanks, Laura. Joel Rubin, everyone. Look, these hostages have been held in Gaza for more than six weeks. My question is, what will their readjustment be like? Well, someone who knows that very well is Jason Rezaian, who was held prisoner in Iran for 18 months. He's my guest, next. The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish. 
So there have been arrests, suspensions, disciplinary hearings. They're shutting down graduation events. At this moment, the part of the protests that are admirable are young people calling attention to atrocities. Michael Roth is the president of Wesleyan University. I would like to make a space for them to do that, as long as that space doesn't prevent other people from pursuing their education. Listen to The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish, on your favorite podcast app. Fifty of the hostages held by Hamas could soon be coming home. But what comes next for those who have suffered the horrific kidnapping and endured captivity for over six weeks? I want to bring in someone who knows all too well what it's like to be held hostage, Washington Post journalist Jason Rezaian. He was in prison for 544 days in Iran after being detained there back in 2014. He's now a global opinions writer for The Washington Post and author of the book Prisoner. Jason, I'm so glad that you're here. I mean, you must be thinking all sorts of things as you watch the hostage situation in places like Gaza and beyond. I mean, you've said in the past that you remain vigilant and nervous during the waiting period before the release of any hostages. Why those words? So many things can still go wrong until someone is released and back in the arms of their loved ones. Uh, every time you hear about one of these stories, you know, we just get the most uh, cursory details of actually what went into releasing these people. Oftentimes it's months, weeks, sometimes years of negotiations. And in the final hours, those things can, can fall apart. And in this situation, not only are there hundreds of people involved, uh, small children, elderly but also people of 40 different nationalities. Uh, and there's a war raging on above the ground where they're being held. So, you know, a lot of things can still go sideways. I hope that uh, that everybody comes out safely and um, and that this is the end of, of their nightmare and their, their family's nightmares. Uh, but, uh, but the road ahead is still so fraught and long. You know, the idea of false hopes that might be even used against people as a psychological tool as well to um, torture someone, to make them believe they have a chance, let alone the internal hope that everyone would have that they will be freed. I mean, you were wrongfully imprisoned for an agonizing, I mean, I can't believe 18 months. We're actually watching right now the moment you were returned with your family following your release. Walk us through, you said that the road ahead can be still fraught. Walk us through what happens when you are freed from captivity, I would assume there's a kind of a transitional period, maybe a debriefing, examinations of some type, or are you allowed to just go home to your family and remain with them immediately? Well, Laura, it's it's a really good question. Um, and I think it's different in every case and from one country to the next. The U.S. government offers uh, specialized care after the, the release. Some people... Uh, take the government up on it. Some people don't. I did. I spent about five days at Landstuhl, a medical facility uh, of the U.S. military in Germany. Um, uh, frankly, looking back, I wish I'd stayed a few days longer. You're, you're raring to go. You want to get back into the world. You want to uh, see the people that you've been missing. Uh, but you're not ready for it. You know, you, you have been conditioned to be um, in captivity. And it takes uh, a long time to get used to 
uh, to freedom again. And I think, you know, when people who haven't been through it hear that, they think to themselves, well, that sounds sort of odd. It is odd. The whole the whole experience is not like anything that that were um, raised and educated and ever ready for. So uh, once you've had that experience, you know, just the process of of mentally slowing down, of you know your shoulders kind of easing, the tension, you know the the elevated tension that has persisted constantly, waking hours and sleeping hours for so long. It's not something that's easy to describe, and it's not something that's easy to come down from. According to multiple sources, three Palestinian prisoners in Israel would be freed for every civilian hostage that is released. Now, a dilemma countries often face in order to achieve a resolution um, is whether to achieve that, whether to make the deal or to leave people behind. Is this deal unavoidable in order to bring innocent civilians home? I mean, the ratio of Palestinian lives to those who are the hostages, what do you make of it? So, you know, the reality, Laura, is that, that until there are more effective de- deterrence mechanisms in place, governments are going to have to make these hard decisions. I say that you have to decide to, to free your innocent civilians, especially in a case like this when so many of them are children. Um, you know, it, it is really not that difficult a choice when when you think about it in those terms do these people deserve to to be be held in a prolonged way and potentially die in captivity or or reunited with their loved ones um, and i understand these are hard choices for any government to make uh, i don't put a lot of stock into the argument that making these deals uh, encourages more hostage taking. What encourages more hostage taking is that there's nothing standing in the hostage taker's way uh, at the moment. So I think, you know, f- for the time being, we're going to see more of these deals, whether it's in this situation in Gaza, whether it's with Iran, Russia, China, Venezuela, uh, and a host of other countries that, that do this, including friends of ours like Saudi Arabia, Egypt, uh, Turkey. Uh, but ultimately, um, we have to be thinking about what is it that we're going to do to make this behavior costlier than beneficial to those who take part in it? And, you know, I, I think we'll, we'll see, uh, see the phenomenon continue until, until those deterrence mechanisms are really in place and, uh, and the effects of which are being felt by the bad guys. Jason Rezaian, thank you for being willing to share your story. You know, just giving the context and your personal experience and journey is so powerful, even to this day, to think about what you've been through and what the road might be ahead for so many others tonight. Thank you so much. Thank you, Laura. Well, there's a major hearing in the Georgia election interference case over whether to revoke the bond for this man, defendant Harrison Ford. And Fulton County DA Fannie Willis showed up to personally argue the case. I'll tell you what happened next. He's accused of attempting to target witnesses with social media posts and other comments. No, I'm not talking about Donald Trump. It's about his co-defendant in the Fulton County election racketeering case. Harrison Floyd is his name, and the judge today declined to jail him, but said that his bond agreement should be modified now to include more specific restrictions, which did not sit well with D.A. Fonnie Willis. 
He was given an opportunity to cooperate with the rules of this case. And what he really did was spit on the court and refuse to oblige by three of the seven conditions of this bond order. And what we're really here to decide today is does this order mean something or not? He doesn't get a, oh, I'm sorry, after I've already intimidated the witnesses in this case. It's too late. The judge called it a technical violation, going on to say, quote, not every violation compels revocation. We'll be watching that case, and thank you all for watching. Our live coverage continues in just a moment. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Now streaming exclusively on Max, a new CNN flash talk about the album that has Nashville talking, Call Me Country, Beyonce and Nashville's Renaissance. Watch it at max.com slash callmecountry. Max subscription required.